2: A day and night, must for a living, feed a and children, press, the right, Hello, everyone, of the house, and to to welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with the radio media, and we'll spend the next hour talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. Um, if you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844 999 9249 That's 844-999-9249. Or you can email us at Let's Talk Torah, no apostrophes, Let's Talk Torah, at gmail.com. I hope you're enjoying the weather. I know I got some messages that some parts of the country are enjoying snow. We are not. Snow is exactly where I like it on my grass in my backyard. And the streets are pretty clean. And the temperature's close to 40. Can't complain about that, unless you live where the temperatures are twice that. And today, we will be going international again. We have a special guest after the first segment, all the way from Israel, a, uh, a an artist, an illustrator. Uh, her name is Dina Ackerman. We're going to talk about her passion, about her artwork. You are going to love listening to this amazing artist. Of course, we got to get into a lot of stuff packed, Torah portion this week. uh, We got to talk about the golden calf. We got to talk how the Jewish people fell so far, so fast. How could a golden calf, how could an idol even happen 40 days after God revealed himself um, with the Ten Commandments? We got to get into all this stuff before we get into that stuff um it is crowded here today we have a lot of people i mean we are happening instead of our regular crew i think we added a few people today to make sure everybody's on board so everybody's learning everybody's doing stuff we're gonna have a great time today so let's talk beginning tutorial Torah portion has a very interesting different kind of concept and that is the idea of counting. Census. People know about census. Every country takes a, cen- a census. Every army takes a census. And at the beginning of the Torah portion, we're also talking about taking a census. How do you take a census on the Jewish people? I know Detroit's gone through some—they uh, uh, made a census around here. Other cities do it to get a feeling of how many people and the ages and the needs and stuff. Um, It's actually quite debatable what would be the purpose of a Jewish census. And other words, just to count how many Jews live, for argument's sake, in the land of Israel, has really no value. You need it for an army. You want to know how many soldiers you have. That has a purpose. Um, Even when we take a census, by the way— We're not really counting women and children anyways, because anyways, the main focus of the census is to have a feeling for the size of your army. We find King Saul did that. But there's another part of the puzzle, and that is that you cannot count heads. That means I don't walk into a house and I say, okay, there one, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, great. Write down six in this house. Go to the next house. You guys stand in line over here. You guys stand in formation over there. Okay, 10 deep, 10 wide, 100. Okay, next box. We don't do that. Um, we count using objects. You can use anything. Um, King Saul used the uh, stones. Somebody else used uh, sheep. In the temple, we find they used actually the liver. Of sacrifices, to have a feeling for how many sacrifices. But in the Torah, it talks about using a coin. And we'll talk about what the purpose of that coin was, what they did with the coins when it was collected, but there was a head tax. And in the Torah, the head tax is a half shekel, not to be confused with a modern-day shekel, but technically it's probably the same value. As whatever the main coin would be in the time of the of the—when the, when the Jew, Jewish people in the desert, it was a shekel. Throughout history, it became different coins. Um, we even give as a remembrance um, next month before the holiday of Purim, which is coming. Can't wait. Um, there's a custom that people give, again, a half coin, actually three half coins, uh, per male adult. Again, this is not to say anything uh, uh, chauvinistic. This is just a law in— an army, And who counts? Now, actually, with my son, I happen to be studying. You want to give, you can give. Ladies want to give, go right ahead. Parents want to give for younger children, be my guest. It's allowed. We accept it. Nobody cares. Um, but the command is only for the people that would be in the army. And that is men from 20 and either 20 to 60 or 20 and up. That's the ones who would give it. But it's it's interesting. Instead of saying, give a dollar coin— We're saying give a a half a dollar coin. So the question is, like, why half? Like, we're not talking about a lot of money here, right? So whatever that low coin is, it's, it's minimal value. This is the tax. I mean, come on. Everybody's getting their tax stuff ready. My accountant has all my tax stuff. I can't wait till I see what he has to say about my taxes this year. I'm waiting. I am not holding my breath. That would not be so healthy. But in any case, uh, we pay taxes. We pay a lot of money in taxes. What's a dollar? A dollar tax, big deal. So there's, there's the, it's, it's like a double concept. Half is obviously not a whole. It takes, it takes two halves to make a whole. We can all figure that out. But it's a, uh, it's a, it's a concept. It's an idea that when you give your coin, you are part of a whole. You are part of a group. You are not a whole by yourself. You are a piece. You are an important piece. But you are a piece of the whole. You are a part of the community. And that, that is the first concept we want everyone to understand, that when we're giving this half coin, again, by the Torah, it was a half shackel, the, the idea behind it is, or one, one of the lessons is probably a better word, one of the lessons behind that half coin is that you are not on an island, you are not on your own, you're not in it all by yourself, you are part and parcel of a community. And that's that becomes understood when, when you, you have to give a half. You're not allowed to give a whole and say, keep the change. We give you the change. Um, there was a famous story. With Elisha uh, with and a, the, the woman of Shunamis, she took care of, uh, of Elijah the prophet. She built him a room, and she took care of him, and uh, he asked her, once he saw the room built, it was so kind of her, and he was a guest by her. So he asked her, what do you want? You obviously need something. You built me a room. Maybe you need me to speak to the king or to an officer. You need a favor. Like, what do you need? So she gives a fascinating answer back to him. She says, in the midst of my people, I live. What did she mean, in the midst of my people, I live? She meant to to make a point that we we don't want to stick out. I, again, we all want to be recognized and noticed, I understand. But, but generally speaking, um, when it comes to our relationship with God, better I'm part of the community. What happens to the community, the community benefits— um, things have to happen to a community, but if I'm part of the community, so I'm part of a whole. I'm part of a greater group. So even if I'm not so perfect, but I get to tag along with the group as long as it's clear that I'm part of the group. As soon as I make myself separate, that I'm above everybody else. So God says you're above everybody else. you get judged separately. You have a whole different uh, calculation. So so she said she wanted to be, in the community okay the end of the story is that uh, she has no children he blesses with her child um later on the child dies and elijah has to come back and resuscitate the child okay i didn't want to get into that part of the story but that's the story so that's lesson number one is everyone should be part of a community and then even as an individual we should also keep in mind that i gave a half you gave a half so even if I can't accomplish on my own, but when I join up with somebody else, I can become complete. So that's, the, that's some of the lessons that we gain and garner, I guess, from this half a shekel. What was done with it? So the first collection— of these silver half-shekel coins was actually used to make the sockets that held up the tabernacle. The tabernacle was made up of wooden beams covered by curtains, and on the bottom there were these silver humongous silver sockets, and quite heavy, and that was, for the most part, that was the only silver in the tabernacle. There are a few other little, like, strings and stuff, but that was really—that was it. So that was the first collection— Afterwards, there's more collections taken, usually a yearly collection, because somebody has to pay for the sacrifices that are brought for the public. You bring a private sacrifice, so, okay, you bring your own sheep, your own cow, your own goat, whatever you want. But every day there were public sacrifices. So, who paid for that? So, that was paid for by this, again, like a head tax, this Half shekel that was yearly donated, and that meant that you had a part in in the in the community at large's sacrifices that were brought on a daily holidays Sabbath basis. Okay, so that I, I wanted we got that out of the way. Talked about the half a shekel, beautiful. Let's see how much time we have left. A a difficult question, the golden calf. So, first, let's get the history, and let's see how much time we have left. So, Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, clouds, dark, nobody sees. Moses is up there receiving the Torah. And he said, I'll be back 40 days, 40 nights. The Jewish people miscalculated. Now, it's not like Nobody knows how to count. It was just a question of day following night or night following day. And so, there was an extra half a day that they missed out on. So, they were nervous. So, they went to Moses' nephew. His name was Hor, And they said to him, Moses is obviously dead. He's not here. Look at the sky. It's dark. It's crazy. He's dead. We need a conduit between us and God. We need a conduit. So make us some type of uh, form, something. God will talk to the form and we'll know what to do. That is idol worship. Maybe not the idol worship to say that my mother is, a, is, a, is an elephant, but, but it's still in line with idol worship. As a person, does not decide how God communicates. God already said, I communicate through prophets. I don't communicate through images. So, um, so it was a mistake. Now, interesting enough, at the end of the day, there were only 3,000 Jews involved in that mistake. How do we know? Because it says 3,000 people died. It's very straightforward, very easy. So, the Jewish people, they go to this chur, to Moses' nephew. We want this idol. And he says, what are you, out of your mind? And they kill him. Then they go to Moses' brother, to Aaron. Aaron is the high priest, or he will be. And Aaron knows that there's a prophecy that if the, if the Jewish people were to kill a priest and a prophet on the same day, so God's not going to be forgiving. So Aaron says, what am I supposed to do? If they kill me, there's, there's no out. There's, they're finished. They're, they're, it's all over. So Aaron says, I'll be the fall guy. I'll delay it. I know Moses is coming tomorrow. They're not ready to listen to me yet. I'll, uh, I'll take the fall. To save the Jewish people, I'll try to delay it. And he says, "Okay, go to your wives and bring gold and jewelry." And and Aaron knows the wives are not giving their husbands their jewelry, like all good wives, right? Uh, you know, why don't you guys just uh, stay home and we'll discuss this later? Um, the men come back without the wives' jewelry, and they in those days everybody wore jewelry. They took off their own jewelry and they gave it to Aaron. And he he starts like a fire and he starts to stir it up, and there's some magic involved, and and a cow comes out. So Aaron says he's got to delay this process. Like, we got a problem here. So Aaron says, tomorrow will be a holiday to God. Because he knew Moses is coming down. So Aaron says, I got to build the altar myself, one brick at a time. Tomorrow morning, you all show up. And uh, those involved showed up early the next morning to, um, to uh, serve this idol. Moses immediately told what the Jewish people are doing. Um, Moses prays a little bit so God doesn't destroy them on the spot, but he still has the tablets with him, which is interesting. Um, he goes down the mountain, he sees what's going on, he smashes the tablets, and then he goes and takes that golden calf and he crushes it up. So that tells you right away that the people understood that this was a conduit just to replace Moses. Moses is here, we don't need this no more. Moses going to have to go back for another 40 days and 40 nights to pray to save the Jewish people. So, here's the question—at least let's get through this question. The question is, there are 600,000 men. That means there's also women, children, there's millions of Jews. There are 3,000. That is—on the men's side, that's less than half a percent. It's a minuscule number. It's minuscule. It, if you went to a school and you had, uh, I don't know, 300 children in your class, so it's, uh, it's you know, one and a half kids, like, you wouldn't even notice them. thousand people in your class, so it's it's five, right? Not 50. 50, whatever. 50? No. Yeah, 50. 50. One second. 100 would be 10%. No, 5%. No, 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 no. Five. I'm right. I, I, I got my math. So the number is so minuscule, like, what's the big deal? So um, So the answer is... That It's true. Most of the people ignore the whole thing. You guys want to go worship your idol. You go worship your idol. I'll mind my business. You'll mind your business. You don't tell me what to do. I won't tell you what to do. And therein lies the entire issue. And that is, you don't get to say, mind your own business. I mean, think about it for a second. Uh, we had a story about it last week with our friends uh, from, from Israel. They would—I I think they told us the story. Um, they were talking about how there was a kid on a train, and he's running one way, but I was going the other way, and a, and a lady stuck out her hand and took the child and said, go to your mother. You, you don't get to ignore people, children. If they're doing something wrong, then it's your obligation. I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do to, uh, to take care of the situation. Child's doing something dangerous, so you're going to say it's none of my business, not my kid? That's ridiculous. Right, If the child's going to hurt himself, or an adult for that matter, and right? you're doing something dangerous, you go over to the person and say, are you okay? What are you doing? You realize this is dangerous. Something. Like nowadays, you walk down the street, you're so afraid to like even give somebody eye contact because who knows what they're going to do back. But really, really, the goal is supposed to be that we help each other. We take care of everybody. We make everybody into a better person. Now, in this case, there's... 600,000 people, they could say, what are you guys doing, right? 3,000 people are not starting up with 600,000 people. So, the Jewish nation could have quashed the whole thing right away. If they would have cared about what their friend was doing and not say, it's none of my business, it has nothing to do with me, I'm not going to worry about it. And it's that attitude— is a terrible attitude, to allow somebody to do something wrong, when you could put a stop to it, that attitude is—it's just not an appropriate attitude. That's not how we act with each other, not with friends. Um, now, even people who don't know, somebody's in a situation, you take care of everybody. It's a responsibility, and that's one of the lessons. But I see my time is— up for the first break. When we come back, we are going to be joined by Dina Ackerman. You are going to love her artwork. You're going to love her even more. So hang through the break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Dina Ackerman. I'm Rabbi Tzuya Let's Talk her, and we'll be right back. At Murray's Park City,
0: we're known for offering customer service you won't get in any chain store or online. But don't take it from me. Just listen to what our customers have to say.
1: The employees at Murray's are knowledgeable, courteous.
0: They make you feel like you're at home.
1: Pick up a can of Seafoam Fuel System Treatment for only 6 dollars or a 5-quart container of Mobile One Motor Oil for just $28.95. Murray's Parts City and Pontiac Trail at Maple Road in Wald Lake.
3: We've got the parts you need when you need them. I'll tell you
0: what happened. Get it, Morty! I got the Sichuan sauce! We're at C2E2 with the
2: legendary Chris Claremont.
3: Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original Blue Power Ranger.
2: Nobody promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch.
0: But your, your excuse is garbage.
3: I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All
0: right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. <laughs>
1: Your brain naturally shrinks as you go older. Now there's research that indicates that the rate of shrinkage increases if you drink alcohol. Your brain volume naturally decreases by about 2% for every decade you live. And in the past, scientists have speculated that this rate could be slowed with moderate alcohol intake because it appears to improve your heart function and your blood flow. But now however the US researchers have found what they call a significant negative relationship between the amount of alcohol that you consume and your brain volume a study involving nearly 2,000 men and women found a significant difference in the brain volumes of people who were moderate drinkers and those who were teetotalers and the association was especially strong in women so the bottom line say the experts is that while moderate alcohol consumption may help your heart and blood flow It offers no protective effect on your brain volume. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
2: And we're back! And I don't know what my voice sounds like because they changed my mic over here. Wait, we're not good. Something is good. Are we good? Angel, are we good? We are almost good. Anyways, so Dina will be here momentarily. I think she's on the phone. Angel, we're good now. We are good. We are joined by Dina Ackerman, illustrator, artist, mother, teacher. Dina, how are you today?
3: Hi. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
2: We are so excited to have you. But, you know, the first thing that came to mind when I looked at the list, illustrator, artist, teacher, I know someone else who interviewed you put mother at the end. If I would show my <laughs> wife the list and she would see mother last, it would not go over well. So that's just a... Uh, so before we start, who is Dina Ackerman?
3: Oh, oh goodness. I don't know. I So I guess I'm a mother first. I have five kids, uh, age 3 to 13, and I live in Israel. i originally from Los Angeles. I work as a fine artist and illustrator and... Um, that's
2: me in a nutshell. Cool. That gives us a great start. So, now the next question is as a mother, now that I already told you that, I mean, hopefully everybody understands um, that a mother is a full time job on its own, um, what are the struggles to take care of your kids and produce artwork? Like, how do you, how do you juggle that? Or you may not sleep. I have oh. no idea.
3: Yeah. I'll just jump right into the big question, <laughs> um yeah, I don't sleep um as much as i I would like to, but um but i I think you like you know something's gotta give, so sometimes it's sleep, sometimes it's you know the dishes or whatever
2: <laughs> good, but, something uh, should basically,
3: give I try to what
2: something has to give as long as you allow something to give. But okay, yeah,
3: I think something. I think I don't think you can really do everything. I, I kind of think that's a myth, but you can do a lot. Um, you know, I work as much as I can when the kids are at school, or um, sometimes at night if I have some energy left. And um, and then I try to be there for them when they're around. And, you know, it's not always like I'm not the perfect mother, but I just do my best. And hope it's good enough.
2: <laughs> That's all the children can ask for. Now, of course, they ask for much more than just the best you could do. But as they get older, um, usually they figure it out. So, yeah, um,
3: actually, they do. They, they are very helpful. They can be very helpful. Good. The older ones do understand that, you know, I got to work. And, um, you know, otherwise they don't have money for all these things that they, they're always asking ah. for. So, <laughs> I think ah. they, <laughs> they figured it out. Uh,
2: so, mm-hmm. yeah, as exactly. we're talking, I, I, don't th- I don't know if you could see it, but as we're talking, they're throwing up different pieces of artwork that you sent me. I sent you a message last night. Um, I was picking the pictures that had meaning to me, and it was so interesting. You were sending completely different pictures. Not complete, but many.
3: Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about it. Yeah. So, which ones are you putting up? I oh, I have no them.
2: idea. I, I love the—I ch- told oh. you I love children. <laughs> Anything with children, the, the, the sketches, the black and whites— um, I was going to say this for later, but I'll jump right into this one. If Kelsey has that ship picture, can you put that up for a second? So I, I, you have a black-white and white drawing of that ship at sea, and there's a storm, and there's a guy. It should be uh, on the screen now. So let me tell you a story, okay. and I think you'll appreciate it, and I would like your, your take on it. So sure. as, you, as you know, I teach third-grade boys. So like all teachers, yeah. uh, there's always some students that want to be coloring or drawing during class. This boy, if there's a pencil in his hand, he's drawing, whether it's on his desk or on a piece of paper. And uh, he'll always ask me to draw. Sometimes he won't ask me to draw. And uh, some teachers, when they see a child draw in class, they go, they crumple up the paper, they throw it out. So I never do that. I say, please put it away. What can you do with it? Uh, but he's forever drawing. So here's what I did with him today. Um, and it was like a break. So he was allowed to draw, and he's drawing a picture of a boat. So I said, I said, Gedalia, let me show you this. I pull out my phone, and the class wanted to see, but they had work to do. I said, look at his picture. I showed him the picture of the boat, of your Aww. picture. And I said, you know, you're a, you're a very good artist. You have a lot of talent. You're going to be able to figure it out. This, I just want you to know that uh, there's a, a lady I met, and she she started, like you, just drawing. and uh, But one day... You get some lessons. You practice. You could be a fantastic artist. That is what I oh. used your picture today for.
3: Oh, that's S- so nice. That makes me very happy. Thank you.
2: Cause, w- w- how did you learn to draw as a child?
3: So, like, just like that.
2: <laughs> but you didn't just you didn't just uh, draw like that and then become. Did we lose something? Dina, are you still there? Did we lose Dina? We did not lose Dina. So why can't I hear her? Testing, testing. The light is flashing. We do not hear yeah, Dina. She- oh, there you are. Dina, I hear you now? Hello? Should we say to call back? I don't know. Hello? We- yes, Dina, I have you now. Are Am you I- there?
3: <laughs> okay.
2: Do, we lost you, sorry. You good? Okay, well, now we're good. I don't know what happened, but now we're all back. Oh, okay. Okay, so I was asking okay, you, guys. just just talk about how you learned to draw as a child um, if you went to school. What happened?
3: Um, so, um, for, well, I, I'm kind of wondering about this kid who's always drawing in class, because um, I don't, I guess it, maybe it's different for everybody, but I was a good student, and I did really well in school, but I was still always drawing on my notes. And I don't really remember any teachers making any comments, or maybe I just hid it from them, and I was in the back of the room, and they huh. didn't notice. But um, I think maybe if he's able to focus um, on doodling and and you know whatever you're teaching at the same time, you, you know he might consider just uh, letting him do it now and then. But yeah, you know it's interesting.
2: He is he is a weak student actually. He has there's different uh, okay. he has different situations uh, that makes. I don't want to say learning disabilities, focusing is very hard for him. He tries hard. He's a boy that's that's actually not a—at the beginning of the year, he was not pleasant. He was always angry. So I've worked very hard with um, him that he should become happy, and I know that drawing makes him happy. And actually, when I speak to his parents' conference is coming up, I'm going to mention to them that it's worth their while to give him drawing lessons because he yeah. he does have some talent, and even if he doesn't have talent— but he should be able to do something that makes him happy, and I imagine a drawing made you very happy. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Okay, that's a wonderful idea. Yeah. I think you sound like you're doing a great job with him. So. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Yes.
2: <laughs> Somebody wrote something about artists and other people. We're very sensitive to, um, to criticism. We like when people tell us uh, to tell us what we're doing and what works, what doesn't work. So what kind yeah, of artwork of do you like? What, what's, what, what, when you think of drawing, what, what do you like to draw? I know what I like to see, but what do you like to draw?
3: I love drawing people. That's my favorite thing. So when I'm illustrating, I can obviously, as usually, has to do with people um, or children's books. So um, that's one thing that I really love. And then I, I also have a passion for fine art, which is, you know, just more paint, painting. Painting. And in, when I'm doing that, I also gravitate toward doing portraits because that's just that's what I love to do.
2: So, so just, you don't have to go through the whole thing, I'm just like curious, when, you're, when you have an idea to illustrate just one picture, I don't know, there's different pictures coming up on the screen, there's all kinds of illustrations of children, I know by LinkedIn I put up that girl with the flowers uh, that I just, I love yeah. that picture. How long does Thank that picture you. take to create?
3: So that one is actually a larger size painting, and, and the, the funny thing is I don't usually work that large because usually I'm working on illustrations, and they're, you know, a regular-sized paper usually, or smaller, half a size, um, depending what the project is. And this one I entered into a competition, a, uh, a watercolor competition, and they, it had to be a certain minimum size, so I had to go larger than I'm used to. <laughs> so it took, um, oh, goodness. I don't know, I would guess um, maybe like eight hours Wow. or something like that, but also because I included, for which I don't always do, but some little preliminary-like color sketches because I wanted to work it out before I went so big because it made me nervous, <laughs> <laughs> that huge paper. Um, so
2: so yeah. this kind of drawing, how did you learn to do all this?
3: Um, so I think the main thing is really... Um, practice, but I also tended to copy things a lot, like I would copy illustrations that I liked from books, and I would—I was always reading, and I loved illustrated books, so I was always studying the pictures in the book, so I think it's a combination of, of, of drawing, just drawing all the time, and observing, especially if you want to be good at drawing people, so observing people, and also... Um, Absorbing as much of other people's artwork as you can, like, um, you know, any kind of museums or or art magazines or other people's artwork that kids can look at, you know, depending on people's sensitivity, obviously, you know. Right. But um, I think it's really super important to be able to see other artists, great artists' work.
2: And so, as you see their work, and it gives you, it gives you an idea, it gives you a skill. It, it, you you learn how to put well, feelings. it gives you
3: first of all like a goal to reach because I think there are some artists who are like maybe complacent about their work and it may not be so great, but they think it's they they think it's pretty good and they're very happy with it and they're not growing. Um, and I think part of it is maybe because. They're just not looking around at what's there or they're not able to see the difference in, in their work and in, you know, really great artist work. So, I mean, I'm always looking at other people's work, so I know I have a long way to go. <laughs> And there's a lot of things I would like to still work on, so I think
2: that's important. Oh, amazing. Now, we're going to have a break coming up in about 30 seconds. I hope you'll hold through the break, uh, because really what I want to get into is when I see your pictures, the emotions, the feelings, they jump off the paper. I want to talk about that, and I really want to get into... Um, the power that an artist has to convey a feeling to convey a message and here comes my music so you're listening Wonderful. to Dina Ackerman, artist, illustrator, mother, teacher and all kinds of good stuff. You're listening to by Ackerman on New Radio Media and hold through the break we're going to continue with Dina Ackerman as soon as we get back. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw,
3: untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you.
2: It's all right here on NewRadioMedia.com. It's all about you, and that's the way we like it.
3: Where you're going what you do to stay fit, what you're eating, what you're thinking,
0: and how you're feeling. Join the conversation at NewRadioMedia.com's Lifestyles channel. Stream
3: Stream like you you want 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 to live.
1: A new release long-term study concludes that women who work the night shift are at greater risk of developing breast cancer. The report appears in the journal Occupational Environmental Medicine and shows that working more than two night shifts a week can raise the risk of breast cancer by as much as 40 percent. Even more troubling was the finding that women who worked at least three night shifts a week for a minimum of six years had a 50 percent increase in their cancer risk. The study also found that the risk was almost four times higher in women who considered themselves to be morning people. One possible reason for the increased risk is the interruption of the normal human circadian rhythm. Which is your body's internal clock. Disrupting normal sleep patterns over a period of years compromises the production of melatonin, which is a hormone that's been shown to suppress cancer growth. Early risers who did not work any night shifts were found to have the lowest risk of developing breast cancer. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman.
3: My sunrise on my darkest day with this feeling I just can't and we're back.
2: Dina, are you still with us? Dina, are you still with us?
3: I'm here.
2: Excellent. Okay, now I got to get into the to to the meat of why at least I try to appreciate art. I need people to explain it to me. But uh, <laughs> the first thing's first, like when you draw, so the the pictures come to life, there's that picture of that older woman that, that I know you wrote about that you drew. I can't remember if she was a Holocaust survivor or not, but there's feeling coming out of that picture. Your pictures have feeling. Um, artists, I, I do believe artists really have a, have a power. They can, they, can, they can show us their emotions. So this is probably the harder question, but um, how do you do that? Like, I draw stick figures, as you probably saw. So how do you get the, your emotion and your feelings into that picture? Dina, did I lose you again? Dina, did I lose you again? And that was such a good question.
3: Hello? Oh,
2: we're there. And now we can hear, I don't know, what's happening? Did you hear the question?
3: Yeah, I did. I heard the question. Yeah, sorry Um, we didn't hear you. No, that's fine. I actually tried to interrupt you a couple times, and you just kept going. So I guess it's good
2: that you... Yeah, I don't mind being interrupted. That's okay. But again, now you you (laughs) got all
3: the time. Because your first comment that you made distracted me from the rest of the question, which is you said that sometimes you need art to be explained to you. And and I think, well, first of all, you say that you know when you look at some of my work, you feel an emotional like reaction, which is I think that you don't need it to be explained to you, which is, I think, what art should really be. So um, this is maybe controversial, but I think if art needs to be explained to you, that it's not really accomplishing what it is supposed to be doing. So that's one thing. Oh, good. Um,
2: so I don't feel bad when I don't understand yeah. some people's art. Yes, and I will rephrase. Yeah, no, Your exactly. art is very clear. I, I get it. Okay, but go ahead.
3: Yeah. So people will will definitely disagree with me. Um, but, um, I, and I don't think, I think, you know, even an abstract art can, can convey an emotion, you know, or at least you'll look at it and you'll appreciate something about it. But if you're not feeling anything, then um, you know it may not have be a successful piece of artwork. So anyway, <laughs> um, to answer your question, uh, how do, how do you put emotion into an artwork? Um, so there's a there's a bit of technical skill, and then there's a bit of uh, I don't know, maybe like an intuition that goes into it. So you do have to be kind of able to to draw and paint well enough to con- you know. Convey something, especially if you're doing realism. Um, so that has to do with you know your line work and your use of color. Um, colors can evoke emotions. There's cool colors and warm colors. You know, obviously, the way you um, arrange your your dark areas and your light areas and what the eye focuses on. So that's kind of all tech, sort of technical stuff. Um, the way it's composed. Um, I, I always mention this course that I took because it was so powerful. Um, it uh, called there's a, an online school called the Academy of Composition, and um, they have a course on just how to read artwork and how the master artists throughout time um, compose their artwork in order to tell a story. And it's just fascinating. So um, I learned a lot from that. And then um, <clears throat> I think. It's being able to, um, stop me if I'm rambling on too much. No, I like to learn to... stuff.
2: Trust me, I'm good learning. But go ahead.
3: Okay. <laughs> um, I think y- you, I have it like a scene in my head, let's say. Um, I give an example of of one of my students' work. I teach an illustration class, and she was doing um, an illustration that was supposed to convey the feeling of rahamim, which means, like, compassion. And she was using a story about um, uh, somebody who um, was doing something, whatever, was supposed to be conveying compassion, and there was somebody else looking on at the scene. And the way she had composed it, she had the focus on this person, watching the scene and this woman's expression as opposed to the person who was actually supposed to be in the focus and it just had to do with the way one character was framed in a doorway so she stood out more and the other one was lowered down and whatever so that's a lot of that's like a technical point that people often miss. that like when you look your first look at the picture like you have to be able to pick up on exactly what the artist is trying to say um, and not get distracted by other people or other images in the in the composition um, and then I think that being good at, uh, I don't know, doing faces, if you're doing illustration or portraits, really have being able to capture a certain expression, um, and being able to think about um, just what experiences will will like evoke an emotion in somebody else. There's certain things that we all kind of feel the same way about, you know.
2: Ah, so I get the picture that uh, people could teach me all day long to be an artist, and they would probably not be very successful. But, um, <laughs> you know, we talked on the phone. So we talk about art is powerful, and we're trying to convey a message. And people, people have visions. They have recollections. I, you know, I like to read books without pictures. I know you like the pictures. The kids in class love pictures because when there's a picture, someone has told them, their idea of what's going on. Well, if I read a story with no pictures, then my mind can imagine whatever I want. But once the picture is there, I'm stuck. So we talked about (laughs) this. You know, like one of the holidays is coming up. Uh, Purim is coming up. Uh, Most people are familiar. There's the righteous. There's Mordechai. And there's the Queen Esther. And then there's the wicked Haman and the the evil uh, Queen Vashti. And when people draw pictures, you make the the evil person look evil and you make the righteous person look righteous. So you told me if you were going to draw that story, you had your own (laughs) idea of conveying. Just remind me what it was, because it was interesting. Uh,
3: Yeah, because I thought that, like, the, the villain of the story, Haman... That he's usually drawn as like this weaselly man with this pointy beard and these shifty eyes and like, you know, and, and who said that's what he looked like? I mean, he was a powerful, compelling figure and people were, you know, hanging on to his every word and he was the advisor to the king. So, I mean, he could have been this like, you know,
2: tall, tall dark, handsome man. guy, so politician, I don't know.
3: Yeah, I mean, he could have been some good-looking, you know, powerful-looking politician. Yeah, so who knows? But, like, um, I thought it would be interesting to make him not the villain because sometimes people don't always look the part that they're supposed to play. So who knows?
2: And that would be how you would portray it. So in, in other words, so do you,
3: <laughs> no, I have yet to—, to
2: <laughs> you didn't take on that uh, that that one yet, because I know you have a bunch of illustrations.
3: I would love to, maybe one day.
2: Cool. I mean, you know, look, they they charge a lot of money for those Magillas. Do artwork on the side with pictures, even in the uh, in in the printed ones. Uh, people go for those things, even Haggadahs. It's true. There's all the yeah, old everyone ones. everyone
3: needs where, new Magillas now
2: yeah, and then. And Haggadah time and pictures would be like, uh, which I tell you, it, it like. You're coming from Jerusalem. So there are certain certain groups there that don't like, don't appreciate sports. And therefore, the picture of the wicked son in the Haggadah is somebody playing ball. I don't know if you've ever seen those before. Yeah, right. And every culture, every group, (laughs) hey, where they're coming from. But but that is the power of a picture. In other words, you have the ability to go ahead and decide what you want me to experience. Right. Do, you ever, do you ever imagine sure. that when you're drawing a picture, it, it, when you're illustrating a book, and, and your illustrations are fantastic. So you're illustrating a book, and you now have a decision when you illustrate um, how you're going to convey the, the, whoever they are, the good children, the children that are troublemakers, the children that are, that are behaving, the children that are being picked on, however you're going to illustrate, so you're the power that decides what I'm going to see.
3: Hmm. Interesting, yeah um well i also usually have like an editor or somebody who is overseeing everything so um i i I do gotta you know get approval (laughs) from somebody else and uh now and then you know they'll, they'll nix my ideas but um i'm trying to think if i've ever done any kids who are troublemakers and or being naughty and I'm, I'm, I'm like, wow. I think I've been deprived of that opportunity. Actually. Well, <laughs> so,
2: clearly your children are always, all so well behaved that it never occurred to you to draw well, anything besides. Well, my
3: children are obviously, yes. obviously, like perfect. But um, yeah, even in my children's books, I'm trying to think if I've got any naughty ones in there. Uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. But um, <laughs> no pun intended. Yeah. I probably wouldn't make them playing baseball if
2: I wanted to convey how how wicked they were right probably not not uh, that part I knew so um uh, <laughs> but as my time is starting to wind down so um what if you want if you wanted to leave us with something, we'll talk about how to, how people can check out your artwork, but if you wanted to leave us with a message about the about artwork or your artwork or the power of artwork, what would it be
3: okay um well I think that it is definitely very powerful. Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, gosh <laughs> See look
2: I'm look, young look young what boy. I'm making an artist do for
3: that one. <laughs> no, you know, like um,
2: I could talk but, for for a whole long time about what your pictures make me feel. and I think you're oh, so thanks. natural <laughs> you don't realize what you' what what you know the strings that you pull. That's what I find to be fascinating. But go ahead
3: that's so kind I really appreciate that a lot because that's kind of is my goal um, if I'm not provoking some kind of a reaction and usually I want it to be a good reaction or, or something that touches people I'm not really in I, I'm not out here to uh, add any more ugliness or like sorrow to the world I really just want to brighten it and, and bring a little joy so um, I hope that. that
2: actually is a is a great answer just to bring out beauty which is what arts all about beauty joy happiness smiles it's all wonderful so Dina if somebody wanted to contact you get you to illustrate get you to do a portrait how would they go about contacting Dina Ackerman
3: okay so it's pretty easy I'm all over the place I have a website it's Dina Ackerman D E N A ackerman.com i'm on linkedin facebook instagram um you can email me dina d-e-n-a art at gmail.com i will be very happy to discuss anyone's projects with them
2: very cool. Dina, I appreciate it. I appreciate your art. Certainly, when I look at all the people that comment on your art on LinkedIn, it's it, it, every time you just put a picture and it explodes. Like, everybody likes thank Dina's you. work. So, hopefully, everyone oh, will take advantage. So um, Dina, I appreciate the time. I know it's late. So, um, I hope you have a good night's it's rest. It's been a pleasure. Yes, thank you so much, and we'll be in touch. Thank
3: you
2: so much. I hope so. Okay, Dina, be well. Okay, my time is winding down. See, we got to bring culture here. I'm working on my culture, but see, I learned something new. It is now okay when somebody puts blobs on the paper and they ask me to guess what I'm feeling or what it is, that I don't have to care. I can look at pictures I like of people, of children, of places, of animals, stuff that's fun and light and bright. So I am very happy, Um, almost like my guy who taught me how to take my diet, which has been working pretty good. So, oh, I think I have, like, 30 seconds. Um, let's say in my next—less than a minute. I know, I know. In less than my minute, I wanted to bring you par- uh, bring out an interesting point in this week's story portion. Um, when Moses got the first tablets, there was thunder and lightning and earthquakes and clouds and dark and noise, and things didn't go so well. The golden calf, the tablets were broken. This The— Well, the third time, he goes up the mountain. But when Moses goes up for the next tablet, very quiet. We don't hear about the lightning. We don't hear about the thunder. Very quiet. And it's really a very good lesson for people to think about. When you do things in a loud way to tell the world who and what you are— It Doesn't always go so well We can do things quietly There's a lot of blessing In doing things quietly And here comes my music So we're getting ready For our last couple of minutes Time is flying When we come back We'll be joined by Bjornis and Goldson Of Ethical Imperatives I am Rabbi Tzvi On New Radio Media Hold through the break And we'll be right back
3: Ah
0: Low-budget movie version. 60s
2: TV version. Early 2000s high school pseudo-adaption that eventually grows into the geek we all know and love version here. I'm getting paid a lot of money to be here, so listen up. Watch the Geektainment channel on newradiomedia.com.
3: It's geek approved.
2: Yeah, what's up? This is your boy, Walter Jones, also known as Zach, the original Black Ranger, and you are geeking out with Geek Tame and Weekly at New Radio Media. It's market time!
1: A gelling agent used in making jams and jelly may have anti-cancer properties. Now, anyone who's ever made jams or jellies is familiar with the ingredient known as pectin, which is a natural fiber product found in most fruits and vegetables. A group from the Institute of Food Research in the United Kingdom found that under the right conditions, pectin releases a molecular fragment that binds with a protein that inhibits cancer growth. And the thing that may make jam and jelly more effective as slowing the growth of cancer than raw pectin is the process used to modify it for use in jams and jellies. You see, it turns out that the modification helps to emphasize the release of the cancer-fighting fragment, which is known as Golectin-3. The most commercially available pectin comes from the peel or citrus fruits and apple pulp that is processed before its sale. So for now, no one knows if pectin found in unprocessed fruits and vegetables has the same cancer-fighting qualities. With another prescription for your health, I'm Dr. Jim Bragman. If
2: a tree is just a tree, then who and what are we? I am you and you And you. we're back and time is flying. And... As always, we are joined by Yoynison Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yoynison, how are you today? Oh, Rok Hashem. How are you, Rabbi? Good. You know, last week I had to talk about Valentine's Day because you didn't. And you do a much better uh, job uh, on these things. But, uh, <laughs> but that was last week. So what's happening this week?
0: Well, a little different from Valentine's Day. In, in 2014, Hoda Muthana left her family in Alabama to join ISIS in Syria. She burned her U.S. passport and used her Twitter feed to echo the radical champ, Death to America. Today, she finds herself in a crowded refugee camp and is petitioning to return to the United States. She claims that she was young, naive, and angry when she joined ISIS, and that the extremist group did not truly represent her values and beliefs. Not surprisingly, the Trump administration is refusing to allow her to return. Now, it's possible that Ms. Muthana is truly repentant. It's also possible that she's just trying to cut her losses. The truth is between her and God. But even if we give her the benefit of the doubt, repentance involves more than just st- saying you're sorry. That's a lesson we learn from this week's Torah portion. In a moment of panic, the Jews, standing at the foot of Sinai, convinced themselves that Moses had died and would not be coming back. The most impulsive among them proposed the creation of a golden calf to replace Moses as an intermediary to reestablish their connection with God. The majority of the people knew this was wrong, but torn between desperation and uncertainty, they stood by and allowed the idolatrous image to be made. When Moses returned, he shocked the people back to their senses by smashing the tablets. The people repented their sin, but the damage was done. God's glory had withdrawn from them, and 3,300 years, we're still trying to merit its return. Repentance heals our relationship with the Almighty, but doesn't necessarily repair the damage we cause with our transgressions. Sometimes, we simply have to live with the consequences we produce through the error of our ways. Repentance isn't hard, but it's much easier if we don't stray from the path to begin with. That's something to keep in mind as we enjoy the tranquility of a very good Shabbos.
2: Yadison, thank you as always. I hope we'll speak next week.
0: Very well. Be well.
2: Beautiful. Kelsey, ready for the next poster? We are ready. So we are up to our next poster, our next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, the letter Nun. Nun is, uh, I guess, inverted L. Um, In the picture, there's also something on top, so you want to call it inverted C. It's a little bit, uh, the top and bottom are a little bit shorter. Its numerical value is 50, and it makes an N sound. So I was looking for my word of the week um, I guess I cheated It's not a Hebrew word, I don't think It's really a Yiddish word But almost everybody knows this word You have a grandmother, you know this word The word is nachas Now, I'm probably looking around No, 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 no reactions You guys have a lot of culture We have to teach you all of you. Nachas, actually I have a long sentence. It is an individual pleasure derived from someone else's success. That's why you say grandmothers, right? Children give parents, grandparents, nachas. You'll do something good and your parents or grandparents will feel good because of what you, their child, grandchild are doing. It's really a great word and a good word to, to use once in a while when somebody's doing something you appreciate. You probably won't use it right, but that's okay. So, um, so I was at a funeral this week uh, by a, na- a man of the name of Manny Middleman. Manny Middleman was a Holocaust survivor. Um, he passed away this week, I believe he was 94. Um, he was one of those unusual individuals that actually survived like five years in Auschwitz. He was one of the early ones in the concentration camp, and miraculously, he survived all those years. And he had an amazing custom. By every wedding—now, I can't say his children. I don't know his children, at least their weddings. But by a grandchild's wedding or a great-grandchild's wedding, he would speak under the canopy, um, usually right after the ceremony, right after, right before. I don't remember. Um, I saw it twice— And he would get up there and give a whole speech, and he would talk about how when he was in the concentration camp, you didn't even know if you were going to live through the day. Nobody started dreaming about what's going to be with my grandchild's wedding um, while you're in a concentration camp. So he said, I was in the concentration camps. I never imagined that I would stand under the wedding canopy with a grandchild with a great grandchild— And he would use that as an expression, number one, expression of gratitude, an expression of thanks to God for what God allowed him to see and appreciate. And that's that Jewish word, nachas, to get wonderful, amazing nachas from children and from grandchildren. And I think he also used it as his way of saying that the Nazis tried to go ahead and destroy the Jewish people, and here he is by weddings of children— and grandchildren, and uh, and who, at the end of the day, he's standing tall, and he wins just a, a fantastic story, a fantastic lesson from really a very, very special man. Um, they said one other line by his funeral. They said a lot of lines by his funeral. This one's a quick one. Uh, There's somebody in the concentration camp that said, I'm happy to be in Auschwitz. So they said, how could you say you're happy to be in Auschwitz? That's ridiculous. So the guy said— Where I'm going to be, God put me. I'm going to be here no matter what I want to do. So now I have a choice. Will I be happy or will I be angry? You're by the airport and they tell you the flight's delayed by two hours. You're stuck. So either you can be miserable or be happy. And he always chose to be happy. It's the way he lived his life. Really a tremendous lesson, a loss for us, for those who never met him which I say you're lost, but my time is running out. Lots of thank yous today. Thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team. We have a lot of people here today. Tony, Kelsey, Zach, Angel, Cole, Alana. I got everybody. Yes, I did. I got everybody. And the fingers and thanks. So I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi Tzwi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk to Our New Radio Media. And until next week, don't forget to think about it.